All right, good morning, Hope Covenant. Why don't you guys, you can be sitting a while, why don't you stand? I don't want you falling asleep, you know, three minutes in my sermon, we'll give you at least ten minutes to fall asleep, all right? Understood? Is that? I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. All right, uh, let's pray. God, thank you that you uh, sent Jesus to be our rescuer. And as we look at these stories today out of Acts chapter 16, uh, the rescues that you did, will you uh, move on our hearts? Um, and remind us of the ways that you have rescued us. Uh, you are so good, and we are so grateful for your love in our life. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. All right, you can grab a seat. I like the second service. It's a little smaller crowd, but we, it's, it's kind of like our big small group, right? I, you guys, we're small but mighty, right? Yeah, there we go. We even got a, we even got a shouter in the crowd. I like that. I like that. Well, uh, this morning I'm going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts that we've been in uh, since the beginning of this summer, and I want to thank Paul especially for giving me the opportunity to, to hop up and preach. So thank you, Paul. Come on, let's show the love. Paul's going to be preaching next week. I'm looking forward to uh, being here again because I just love being here with this community and with this family, and Heidi and I are so grateful to be a part uh, of what God's doing here in this group and in this family. Um, so this morning, uh, I'm going to be talking from Acts chapter 16 again. Last week, uh, if you were here, we looked at the story of Paul and Silas who somehow worshipped while they were in prison. And instead of moving on this week, I went, wow, there's some stories in Acts chapter 16 that I thought, wow, these would be so good for us to look at. And part of the reason that I want to look at these three stories out of the book of Acts is that I think these things serve as a reminder to us that our stories matter too. Like the Bible is not just a book of theology, as important as theology is, it's not just a book of theology and teachings. There's these little snapshots we get of real people like you and me. And we hear these different ways that they intersect with the story of God and how God intersects their story. And one of the things that I think that's beautiful about that is that there's not just some formula. Like everybody that comes to God comes this way and it looks exactly like this. It just doesn't work that way. And it's encouraging to me to see that through the pages of Scripture, God looks for ways to intersect the stories of people then the same way he does in our stories today. So we're going to look at three different stories here in the book of Acts. And just to kind of catch you up a little bit, context of where we're at, what's happened is uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're on this journey, and their plan is to just follow the Holy Spirit to wherever he tells them to go. And so they've got some ideas of where they want to go, and if you read through the end of Acts 15, you know, it, it, they're supposed to go to one place, but the text says the Holy Spirit kept them out, and then the next place it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there, and it only takes like five sentences to summarize this in the Bible, but, but really it probably took what, days or weeks that they felt like they were in limbo? Like, God, okay, then where are we supposed to go? What's the deal? And then if you know the story at all, again, I'm just catching us up to context, they have a vision of a man from Macedonia, which is way further away than they were planning to go. Like, it's all the way over in Europe. But finally, they have this vision. They go, oh, that's where we're supposed to go. So they have this direction. They're going to be sailing to Europe. But here's the deal. At this point, the gospel has not been preached in Europe yet. So this is a whole new deal. Paul and the gang here, they're about to, ante, uh, to up the ante on, on what's already been a great adventure by going to an unknown land. 
and they have no idea what awaits them there. They're getting themselves into a place with their strange people, their strange customs. People are worshiping idols openly. There's very few Jews, if any, in these places. This is way bigger than anything that they had seen thus far. Uh, and they might have looked at each other and said, hey, fellas, we're not in Kansas anymore. So here we go. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, what I'm calling three stories of amazing grace. Three stories of amazing grace. And these three stories, by the way, connect in some ways to the vision that we have here. And part of our vision here is that God moves, right, and lives change. So we're going to watch God move and lives change in these stories. Now, the first person to come to Christ in Europe was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman who made a great living out of selling a rare purple cloth. So here we go, Acts chapter 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So we'll stop the text here. So right here, this is interesting. It says that Paul and his crew, they went down by the riverside. They're looking for a place to pray. And that's where they meet Lydia with some other women who've gathered. And while Paul is speaking to them, I love this. Here's the phrase on the screen. It says, the Lord opened her heart. Right? And the Lord opened her heart. And I love that because what that means, I think, is that while Paul was speaking, his words may have been um, brilliant or he might have been brutal. Like he maybe was just fumbling around trying to figure out how to explain this Jesus stuff to these women. And it doesn't say there that anyone except for Lydia responded. But whether Paul was smooth and eloquent or not, it didn't matter because the Lord moved on, opened her heart. Now, I'm kind of a words guy here, so for me, it really, it, it matters how we say what we say. Like, I think we need to say it well. I think we need to, to immerse, immerse what we say in grace. I think we need to test our words with love. So, so for me, how we say it, it, it matters. But this verse here reminds me that in the end, what we want is for it to be the Lord to be at work because it's Jesus who opens people's hearts. It's up to him, ultimately. And I was just thinking through this text, and, and I pondered through this. I thought, you know, no, I, wonder, I wonder what it was. It didn't, like, give his whole talk here, but I wonder what it was. As, as Lydia was listening to Paul's words, what was it? What was it? She had already been seeking God, and she knew about the God of the Jews, but what did the Lord use to open her heart as Paul spoke? What was it? And I don't know, I can't say this for sure, but, but I'll bet that at hearing the name of Jesus, that was the new thing. And that's where her heart opened. That's where the lights came on. That's what finally connected the dots. And can you imagine her story? <laughs> if we could interview her today, this, this lady who was the first convert in all of Europe, 
I wonder if she would, would stand right up here and say something like this. Ever since I was a little girl, I had a wide-eyed desire to live life. I wanted to taste life in every way that I could. In, this, in the city where I come from, we're known for making a very rare and purple expensive fabric. And when I discovered a talent that I had more than anyone around me for making this purple fabric, I wanted to do more than just make it. I wanted to sell it. I wanted to market this fabric. I wanted to have a business of my own. I wanted to become a success in a culture that did not allow for many women to be a part of the marketplace. All of those desires were driven by a yearning to experience a full life. But my longing to experience life caused me to pursue God as well. For as I pursued life through my business ventures, I did not find the things my heart so deeply longed for and the life I so deeply desired. I'll never forget that day on the beach, the four men who approached, they appeared to be Jewish. For years, I had heard of the God of the Jews and been so curious, so drawn. The people in my city, they worshiped a plethora of gods, but I knew those idols were empty. My heart had been drawn to the God of the Jews. And suddenly, here were these four Jewish men. They sat down with us, and one of them began to speak. I learned later that his name was Paul. He spoke to us of many things that day. He spoke of life, of God, of worship and prayer, which was actually how he connected with us because our group of women, we were actually at the river to worship and pray that day. But what I remember most is when he said that name. Oh, when he said that name, Jesus, and when he spoke the name of Jesus, something happened to me. I was like the light. It was just like the light turned on and I could finally see. Paul went on to tell us about Jesus. He spoke of his death, his resurrection, that through him there could be salvation. I, I just know when I heard that name, my heart opened to that name. God moved on my heart like I'd never experienced before, and I received that name right where I was sitting. I received Jesus. The Lord opened my heart. Yeah, I mean, I just love that phrase. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. And, and as we speculate about her story, another thing that I speculate about is this. I wonder how many of us right here in this room, even as we're having this speculative testimony of this woman, Lydia, how many of us are thinking to ourselves, yep, I get that. Like, that's my testimony. That's my story. I, too, I was a, I was a God seeker. And maybe you were 10 years old. Maybe you were 20, maybe 60. And you were seeking God. And, and maybe you were like the good soil that Jesus described in his parable and one day you heard the name Jesus and for some reason maybe the best way to describe it for you maybe you would you would say yeah yeah <laughs> the Lord opened my heart and I received that name and and maybe you'll say I did go forward that day if you were in that kind of church or or, or I did sign a card or maybe I did raise my hand or, or maybe I didn't raise my hand however you did it 
however that moment came in your story, um, you would say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that name, Jesus. I received that name because the Lord opened my heart. I think there's got to be some of us here that are saying, yep, that's exactly what happened. And however it happened, for Lydia, for you, for me, this is amazing grace. Jesus moved on her heart. The light of Jesus illuminated the darkness and brought hope and mercy and life. And again, it's part of what we're about here at Hope Covenant, that God moves and lives change. And maybe today, maybe today, that's happening for someone here in our group here this morning, maybe for the first time even. Now let's read on here. Let's um, go to the second of our three characters that I want us to meet. Verse 16, we meet a slave girl. So verse 16, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Uh, let me quickly summarize what happened next. So what happens is the, the owners are ticked because now they can't keep using this girl to make money. So they cause this huge scene and the citizens of Philippi, they get involved and it starts to be a near riot and Paul and Silas get dragged to the local officials. They get this severe beating. They get thrown into prison. We talked about that last week in the message. Um, but this is just an interesting scene, right? Now, to us, this sounds totally bizarre and weird. In our day and age and in our culture, we don't necessarily recognize this stuff or see it happening so often. Um, but in the Bible, what we see with a demon-possessed person that's shouting out, that's nothing new. This isn't the first time. Like, it happened to Jesus, where the demons knew who he was and they would cause a scene. But interestingly, when I look at the stories where this happens to Jesus, he's pretty quick to get on it and silence the demons. But for some reason here, um, Paul waited and then this slave girl follows them around for at least a few days making this distracting scene and i kind of wonder like why didn't he do something about it and, and maybe paul suspected what would happen if he would have done it sooner i mean maybe he knew what was about to happen he knew that the opportunities to talk to, about jesus were going to be put on pause there'd be a riot there'd be a scene he'd get beaten they'd get thrown in jail maybe he kind of suspected maybe that's going to happen so he's trying to be patient but who knows i'm not sure why he waited but he waits a few days and all the while this evil spirit is shouting out through this slave girl listen to these men these men are sent by god but this again this isn't exactly the endorsement that paul is looking for right this is not who you want advertising um, your ministry and jesus he wasn't a fan of it when it happened to him in the gospels and it says here finally that paul gets annoyed finally now, I've always kind of read this annoyance thing, and I thought, well, I appreciate the honesty here, right? It didn't say that Paul was moved by love or compassion or mercy. He was just sick and tired of the distraction, 
Like, I get that, right? I mean, we preachers are a little sensitive about this stuff when we're talking. You know, if preachers talking and somebody's cell phone rings, you know, it doesn't take too long before we're kind of like, seriously, you know, right? Have you ever, yeah. Or again, I don't mind kids making a little noise in the service. It's kind of to be expected. It's okay. But, you know, after five minutes and the volume of some crying child keeps getting louder and louder and louder, right? Five minutes would be a stretch. I probably wouldn't be as patient that long. Um, so that stuff, like, I'm just not very good at not getting a little bit, you know, put out. But, but let me tell you, if a demon-possessed person started acting up in the service, I'm sure it wouldn't take, you know, 13 seconds before I'd be, you know, on high alert, right? So, so I look at Paul here, and if he didn't give in to being annoyed for a few days, I'm like, well, that's a display of patience if I've ever seen one, right? Even so, I kind of get stuck on the, he was annoyed, and is that what moved him to cast out the demon? I mean, that always kind of bugged me a little bit, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's all there is to it, you know. Okay, yeah, sure. Paul was annoyed, he cast out the demon, but the good news is this, now she's free. So who cares what Paul's mood was? This slave girl is free. And maybe it's that. Maybe that's what happened. But I was talking with my friend John Lynch about this a couple years ago, and he helped me consider another angle. He said, maybe the annoyance wasn't aimed at the slave girl. So I thought, yeah, yeah, nice, nice try, wishful thinking, John. And I looked back at the text, and I think he was right. He, if you notice here in verse 18, we'll put it on the screen, it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And I thought that phrase there, yeah, he said to the spirit, like, he's not, he's not mad at the girl, it was the demon which had enslaved her that Paul was annoyed at. And so maybe what rose up in Paul after days of seeing this girl whose life was being ruled by something evil was a compassion for her. It was a love for her. It was knowing that, that this slave girl was a young woman created in the image of God. She was a young woman of infinite worth and loved by God, but her life had been reduced to one of exploitation. She was being used by the evil one. She was being humiliated and degraded, and she was being oppressed by her owners that cared nothing for her. They didn't care about her. She was only worth something to them as long as she could earn money for them. And so marred and wounded had she become that she was nothing but an object to her owners and apparently to the citizens of Philippi that didn't step up to help. But the name of Jesus was about to shine a light into this dark place in the city of Philippi. Another life was about to be freed. And yeah, Paul was annoyed. He was sick and tired of how the enemy had wrecked the life of this precious girl. And after a few days of this scene, maybe in spite of what Paul suspected would be the reaction of the owners and the crowd, he had enough. No more, he's thinking. No more, he says. No more humiliating this girl. No more being controlled by the enemy. No more being used to extort money for the, from the fearful. No more bondage. Freedom is available, and in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And she was set free. In the name of Jesus, 
Jesus set her free. See, God moved, and a life was changed because here, love acted. And I wonder, I wonder what her story would sound like if she stood among us here at Hope Covenant today. I wonder if it would be hard for her to speak, and we would never pressure her to do it. But, but if she did, or if she wrote out her story, I wonder if it might sound something like this. I found him not. He found me. Jesus found me. I wasn't searching for him. I had no sense of need in my heart to find him. I didn't seek that name, and I had no desire to know him. That name that has now become life to me, I didn't even know of him until that day. I was living as a slave to the God of this world and to the whims of people. I was used by every force in my life as a piece of property. No one actually cared about me as a human being. I was a piece of property, only valued for something as long as I could be used by them. And this Jesus that you preach, this Jesus that in some circles gets mocked, this Jesus set me free. And I know you talk about the amazing grace that saves people and ushers them into new life and gives them a new identity. But I want to tell you, the amazing grace that saves people, it amazes me too. But before grace amazed me, there is a grace that sought me, which amazes me. This grace sought me. I had no hope if it hadn't found me because I didn't look for it. It looked for me and it found me. You know, these, these were real people, right? And, and there's so much about these stories that, that we don't know. Like, wow, well, I wonder what happened next. It doesn't say in, in the story, but I kind of let my imagination wonder about so many things. And, and I wonder, did her owners, did they cast her out now that she was worthless to them? And if she did, I wondered, maybe she landed with Lydia. <laughs> and while the two of them are very different, one's a slave, one's a wealthy woman, I wonder if in that then the gospel of Jesus was on display for the people in Philippi as these two came together. And Lydia, by the way, was a common slave name, so it's not a far stretch to guess that she might have come from a very different background than the wealthy life that she ended up with. So, so maybe she could relate. And another thing that occurs to me as I'm imagining this story of the nameless slave girl, uh, can any of us relate? Maybe not as, you know, a demon-possessed fortune teller, <laughs> uh, but, but can any of us relate to being in bondage to something, to feel like my life is ruled by, enslaved to, or addicted to a whole host of, of things that are seemingly outside of my control. You know, some of us, including me, imperfect people, we can relate. We, we can say, yep, 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 uh, that's my story too. I found him not, for he found me. I was bound by addiction or enslaved to fear. My life was out of control. And if I was telling my story, I wouldn't talk about how I was seeking God. I was not a searcher. I didn't even have an idea that I needed God. And I don't even maybe know, some of us would say, I don't even know how it happened. But one day, I heard the name of Jesus in a way that I'd never heard it before. 
And today, I'm not without problems in my life, but today, I am free. I got set free. And however it happened for the slave girl, for you, for me, this is amazing grace. Jesus moved on her heart, setting her free. Again, God acts, and lives are changed. And, and maybe even today, in this room, right here, um, that's happening for someone even right now. Let's uh, move on here and meet the third character from Philippi. Now, as I mentioned, as a result of Paul and Silas setting the slave girl free, they land in prison. Um, But I want to focus now on the jailer. So we'll pick it up in verse 23. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what what must I do? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his house were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Right, so here we meet the jailer. And my take on this guy is that he's not a bad guy. He, he's not the guy that delivered the beating that Paul and Silas took. Uh, he's where they were taken after their beating. And I'm guessing that maybe his attitude was kind of like, hey, listen, I'm just doing my job, guys. I don't ask questions. Uh, here's my job, um, and here's my life. I, 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 I punch a clock, I put in my time, I go home, I crack open a bud, I watch the game, that's my life. This sermon brought to you by... But I think, you know, it's pretty fair to picture him as a blue-collar kind of guy that maybe one day in his life previous to now, maybe he cared. Maybe one day he had the energy to be concerned when prisoners came to him broken and bleeding. But at this point in life, he is just plain worn out. He has seen way too much pain. I can picture him saying, Paul and Silas, listen, I'm sorry, but you're simply the latest in a very long line of people who have come to me in worse shape than you are. I don't have any energy to spend on your pain. It's not going to happen. I don't have it anymore, so I've decided to just get by in my life. I'm no longer fighting the injustices. It does no good to protest. I've grown dull on the inside, and I have chosen this dullness as a way to just survive. My friend Dave Johnson, he's the one that pointed this out years ago, helping to kind of Help me see the character in this light. And he pointed out that while Paul and Silas were doing this odd thing where they're singing songs in the night, even though the other prisoners were listening to them sing, this guy, the jailer, he was asleep. 
so his heart seemed dulled, and maybe he initially woke up when he heard the songs like crazies and went back to sleep. I mean, the other prisoners, they were affected by the song, but the jailer, he wasn't impressed. He didn't care. He's probably like, yeah, yeah, whatever, go ahead, sing. (laughs) I'm going back to sleep. So that didn't get his attention. What did get his attention, friends, was an earthquake, right? An earthquake. So frightening, so shaking, leaving him so hopeless. And I think that hopelessness was probably cumulative. And it led to him, it says, almost taking his own life. I mean, maybe part of his hopelessness was him thinking, I can't even do this stupid job. All I was supposed to do is watch them. All I have to do is punch the clock. I can't even do that. For me, it's over. There's no hope. I am going to commit suicide. But before he could, Paul's voice shouts, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And his response might have been, what's my alternative? I am in so much trouble here. What do you suggest I do to be saved from this mess? Now notice, Paul and Silas didn't go into a theological dissertation. They believed that the name of Jesus had power. And so Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the jailer did. And then he and his whole household were saved. Now, wouldn't it be cool to meet this guy, right? I I wonder what he looked like. I wonder what he would say. Um, And I kind of picture, like, you know, he's a big dude, right? He's a pretty big dude. Maybe he kind of looks like a tough guy. But now, as Jesus came and invaded the heart of this jailer, this heart that had grown calloused, I think now he's more like what we'd call sort of the gentle giant. You know, a gentle giant, you know know what I'm talking about? Like these big dudes, maybe even a little scary looking, but they're actually gentle guys. And by the way, I think that gentle thing is right out of the text there. Um, This guy um, took Paul and Silas, right? First, he threw them into the stocks and didn't give a rip about their life. But then he hears the name of Jesus and believes in him. And then in verse 33, it says that he took them at that very hour and washed their wounds. I mean, just picture that, this big guy, but now he's gently washing their wounds. He's caring for them. And if he were here this morning, I think maybe he'd say something like this. You know, it's true. I really wasn't a bad guy, but something had died inside me. Something had grown very dull. I had grown calloused. I had grown numb to the pain of others. I had grown dull to the needs of my wife and the needs of my children. I lived like a robot. I was doing nothing but plodding through life with a routine that was painfully mediocre. And after that shaking in my life took place, the sudden earthquake, Paul and Silas spoke to me of Jesus and my need to believe in him. And when they spoke that word, I did believe in him. And I am standing before you today to say, I do believe in that name, Jesus. But for me, it took an earthquake. What is it going to take for you? Again, another story of amazing grace. God moves, lives change, love acts. And, and, you know, even as I speculate about his story, I think that there's got to be some of us sitting here going, yep, <laughs> that's my testimony. I'm 
someone who does love Jesus, and I do know God, and he's made me new. But for me to come to Jesus, it took an earthquake. <laughs> I wish it hadn't, because for me it happened, some of us might say, it, might, it happened when my wife left and took the kids, or when my, my career hit a wall and fell to pieces, or when I was fired, or, or it was when my kids got in trouble, not just the trouble that embarrassed us, but, but really wounded my kid. Uh, it took an earthquake. And whatever that shaking, the earthquake in our life, many of us would say, I heard that name, Jesus. I'd heard it before. I mean, I'd even heard people kind of singing in the night or people drawing close to God in their pain, and I thought they were just nuts. But when the earthquake came and I thought there was nothing left to live for, maybe even for some of us, you'd say, I was ready to end things in one way or another, but somebody came to me and I heard the name Jesus. It made all the difference. And I'm pretty sure that there's some of us in this room that that's somewhat how your story went. And, you know, just as I wrap things up here, and I, I just wondered, maybe, maybe there's a Philippian jailer here today. Somebody just like that. You know, you're a good guy. You do your job. You punch the clock. But quite frankly, something has died on the inside of you. And maybe the only reason that you're even here this week is that you had an earthquake in your life this week or this month, or this year. Your life was shaken. And maybe church is not the place you would normally choose to go, except you had an earthquake, uh, maybe with your family, or in your marriage, or your kids, or your job. And maybe you're in a place that feels so dark that you feel like you've lost all hope, maybe even doubting sometimes that there's anything worth living for anymore. And maybe you're wondering, Jesus, can you save me in this crisis? Jesus, can you help like, I mean, Jesus, it'd be great if you solved the problem, but either way, solve it or not, I'm seeing that whether the problem gets fixed or not, I need help. So can, can I come to you, Jesus? Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you're a Lydia, you're a seeker, you're serious about knowing God, but you've never really explored knowing Jesus. And maybe today's the day, and right now even, the Lord is opening your heart. Or I wonder maybe if there are slaves, uh, men and women among us um, who are in fact slaves to the opinions of others, slaves to the system of this world and this exhausting system that our culture feeds us that makes us just tired and worn out. Or maybe you're a slave in the sense that you find yourself addicted to something and you're entangled. There's something in your life that you feel powerless to change, a habit, a pattern in your life that's robbing you of love and joy and peace. Maybe there's even an element of darkness or oppression from the enemy that's tied to it. And maybe you're wondering, is there enough grace for you? Like, can I ever be free? Whatever it is, hear me. Jesus wants to set you free as well. And by the way, your freedom, it might come in a moment, but more likely it will be a journey where Jesus takes you into freedom and wholeness and gradually heals you over time, but it can start today. It really can. And to all of you who find yourself in any of those places, I just want to say something really simple. I just want to say the name. Jesus. Jesus. 
See, this Jesus who sent his followers to bring his light and love and grace to Europe, starting with these three characters that we met today, this same Jesus is among us. And you are in a community here at Hope Covenant where you can come as you are. Imperfect people, all of us are imperfect. So come and bring your questions. Come and bring your baggage. I mean, even if you have like a rotating carousel of baggage like I do, just bring it here. Bring your addictions. Bring your messiness. Bring it all. And join with a group of people who will walk with you as we follow Jesus together. This God that offers us each a new life, a new identity, a new beginning. Worship team, will you come? And as we finish by worshiping and just spending some time in God's presence, um, just pour out your heart to God wherever you're at. In fact, if you're somebody that, that for the first time or, or maybe coming back to God, um, when we're done, there's going to be some people at the front that would love to pray with you for any reason at all, but especially if you're saying today is the day when I want to move back closer to Jesus. When that time comes at the end, there will be people up here that would love to pray with you and for you. And for the rest of us, those of you that have walked with God for a while or have a relationship with Jesus, here's what I want you to take this whole stories theme. I want you to, to be willing this week and even commit to telling your story to somebody this week. You might start, you know, if you're nervous with somebody that's already kind of in your nearby circle, but maybe take a risk and tell your story to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and how Jesus intersected your life and your story. Uh, just, just, just don't, and, and don't worry about like, you know, having all kinds of scriptures memorized or trying to convince somebody or quote, a, you know, a bunch of wise things or, or, or try to lead them in the prayer, right? Just tell your story. Just tell your story. Because like the believers in the book of Acts, your story matters. Your story matters. Will you guys stand with me as we pray and get ready to move back into a time of worship? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are good. And at the name of Jesus, God, will you awaken hearts? Will you set free the chains of addiction and of the enemy. Will you awaken us from our slumber and bring us rescue? Thank you for the new life that you have brought to so many of us in this room and the life that you are offering to us all. Thank you for your love and care for us and the freedom available in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.